Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Um, where are you, Pete? Are you back I'm home in Australia? Australia? Okay. I'm in Australia at the moment, yeah. Because you were just running around the U.S. Long, not long ago, correct? Yeah, that's right. I spent three weeks over there uh, doing a new film on cannabis, which is pretty interesting. Interesting. Oh, cool. It is interesting. Mm. Yeah, there's some interesting films coming out. Um, well, first of all, thanks for coming on, Pete. And uh, for, for our folks that don't know, Pete is, you know, in Australia, you're a bit of a kind of a celebrity down there. You've been on TV for a long time. You're a little bit controversial. Some people like you, some people don't. <laughs> Well, <laughs> maybe hopefully more like you than don't like you, but I, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, anytime you get up into anybody kind of starts to know who you are, you piss people off. It seems like, but, uh, you're the, you're the producer of the film, the magic pill. Is that correct? You were the producer of that film. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. It was my idea. And, uh, I self-funded that. And, so that's one, and you've done a wonderful service for, for probably millions of people for, for those that don't know. And so it's exciting to get you on there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, you share a passion for food, you know, and I do too, although I, I tend to eat the, uh, you know, the kind that comes from cows mostly, but, but at the same time, it's, it's very neat to talk about sort of that stuff. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background for the people that just don't know who you are? Yeah, here? yeah, for sure. So we're recording now? I think so. Is that yeah, for real. <laughs> awesome. G'day, everyone. Uh, Pete here from Australia. 30 years I've been a chef. So that is my, my trade, so to speak. I learned to become a chef because I wanted to learn a life skill. Uh, one of the skills that I think is vitally important for all of us to be able to do with some sort of confidence and some sort of safety. And it was one of those skills that just wasn't taught to us at school. So um, that basically took me down this path. And I'd always been interested in health and nutrition and tried many different dietary approaches, pushed the, burnt the candle at both ends, uh, really saw what it, what it meant and, and felt to be a human being. And, and uh, over the years, over the last 30 years, I've cooked probably a million meals with these two hands in a professional setting. Uh, I locked myself in a box for 20 years in, in my own restaurants and you know, won some awards for, for cooking and, and pushed myself creatively to um, push my own boundaries and face my own fears when it comes to my own self-limitations. And I guess over the last 10 years, pretty much the real focus has been how does food influence our health? And that's why we're talking today. And it's, it's an ongoing journey. I don't uh, believe to, to know all the secrets out there, but uh, each and every day we, we, we seem to be I don't know, getting closer to the truth, you know, and, and I, I do want to preface this by saying that food is a very important tool for health, but it is not the be all and end all. 
as you know, there are so many different stories out there of people that adopt different diets, whether they're what we would call healthy and still seem to thrive off a off an unhealthy diet. And then we have people that are eating a really nutritious diet that still suffer from disease. So I think food is a vitally important thing that we really need to uh, respect and understand. But I guess my passion and where I'm, I'm going in the future is our belief systems, how do our emotions affect the way that we feel? And that's something I've been very interested in and studying myself for the last 20 years. And I feel like that's the next part of this journey for me is, is putting information out there that uh, can plant the seeds for people to understand how to understand themselves holistically from a, from a physical, from a mental, from an emotional and spiritual basis. So that, uh, and I believe that we need to have all of those things in balance for long-term sustainable health. So that's where we're at. Pete, I see, you know, and I see that reflected in the stuff I see you on social media. You're often out in the water, you're jumping in an ice bath, you're out there surfing, you're playing with your kids, you're out in the sun, you know, you're, you're experiencing life. And, and it, it seems like you're really trying to connect with, you know, how humans probably live. We're not designed to sit in cubicles and eat junk food and stare, <laughs> stare at computer screens and, and cell phones and TVs all day. I mean, that's, that's obviously not the, the grand design of what humanity is about. Unfortunately, that is the norm. And mm. I don't know, do, you, do, you, do you sort of think that's what I'm suggesting is, is, is appropriate? You know, or am I, am I misreading what, what I'm seeing with your, with your actions? Yeah, uh, one one thousand percent. I guess the further along this journey, the simpler I am trying to make my own experience um, in this very strange modern world. And I guess the only label that I like to use is that we're human, and even that can be can be debatable if you uh, uh, if you go a little bit deeper into the spiritual realm, you know, and what that actually means. But as far as our physical experience in this reality, I'm happy to say that uh, the label that I like to identify myself with is that of being human. So when I take that, that, that basic foundational principle of being human, what does that mean? You know, and what does it mean for a human? How, how have humans and how can a human thrive off proper nutrition? What, what does that look like? as a foundational principle. How could we sleep? You know, what does that look like? How do we move our bodies? What does that mean for a human being? How do we breathe? How do we connect? How do we love? How do we understand self from a hum from a very basic human, I guess, viewpoint and understanding and, and knowledge base. And I was having this great conversation yesterday with I'm sure you've seen the magic pill before. And I interviewed uh, Dr. Karma, who set up Hope for Health up in Ar Arnhem Land, which is far north Australia. And her retreat and the work that her and her husband are doing for the Yungle people, which is the indigenous from Elko Island up in Northern Territory, it's all about basically understanding what it means to be human and bringing that back and we have so much wisdom with our indigenous cultures around the world and we have so much wisdom with current modern science and how do we bridge those things together and instead of it being separated how do we join 
you know, ancient wisdom and modern medicine and modern science so that it's not either this or that, but it's a, a combination of that. And um, that's what I'm fascinated about. And it's interesting, I just spent three weeks on the road in Canada and the USA for my next project, which is looking at the cannabis plant. Uh, it was basically called <laughs> to me and I always follow my gut and my intuition and, and my passion. And I knew very little about this plant going into this. And I reached out to my friends and mentors that have helped me on my own journey. I said, I'm being called to do a documentary about this plan. Who do I speak to? And I'll tell you what, three weeks is a very short period of time to do a deep dive into a subject. But what I learned in those three weeks is I know nothing about this plan, but there is so much to learn about it. And again, I'm not saying that cannabis is, is the magic pill or the magic plant to, to, to get us out of whatever disease that we have but it seems to be a powerful tool for a lot of people, not only physically, but also emotionally and also spiritually. So I think it's, it's definitely worth uh, investigating and, and understanding how we as humans relate to nature. And from my understanding, it feels like this plant is actually calling us back to connect to nature from a, uh, from a world of modern world, we are so we are so disconnected from nature. So that's my perspective and and my observation with this really interesting plant. And I plan on. I mean, my intention over the next ten years is to create films that I deem that are important. And going back to the start, talking about the things that we actually didn't get taught at school in the current system. So some of the ideas that I have for films is one, to look at sex. What does that mean for a human being? Because it seems to be something that we're very disconnected from and we have belief systems in place that are either religious or social or um, whatever they are that seem to be not based in truth. Uh, education is something that I'd also love to explore uh, because it seems that we're, we're getting taught a lot of information at school, but how much of that is actual practical for us moving forward, you know, as human beings? Uh, other avenues that we're looking for, uh, I'm looking at doing is uh, information about expanding consciousness. How do these plant medicines actually react with us as human beings? And what is the purpose of these psychedelic experiences that these plants hold for us? So interesting topics, as you said, may be controversial, but coming from a standpoint of being human, I actually don't think they're that controversial at all. I just think that uh, they require further investigation and further understanding. Yeah, Pete, I agree. Uh, and I think there's a lot of ways we can go with this. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of doors you've just opened that we can go down. <laughs> let's, let's further... So when we talk about being human, what does that mean to you as you've been sort of ruminating on this, not to put a cow reference in there, but as you've been thinking about this and, you know, trying to, you know, really say, what, what does it mean to me to be human? And, and mm -hmm. what does that mean to you right now in 2019? For me personally, my perception is, especially when you look at how social media is these days, um, we seem to be getting a lot of information through there and thrown at us and spat out. And I think it's a fantastic tool. And I feel like 
the need for people to express themselves is what is fueling this. And so let me, let me try to put that into words of, of what it means to be human. I believe our only purpose for us as human beings is to express ourselves creatively. Now, what that means for Sean Baker is very different than what it means for Pete Evans, what it means for any of the listeners that, uh, or viewers that are watching this or listening to this. So I believe that for us to have a fulfilling life is to express ourselves in whatever areas that we are passionate about. Some of them may be areas that bring up fear for us, and sometimes that helps us break down barriers and actually get to know ourselves better. I feel like we come into this world as basically, how do I say this? We come into this world with trust, love, acceptance, unconditional love for ourselves and others. And as we go through our, our years on this planet, we seem to bring up identities for self, which are based mainly out of fear and how to conform and how to fit in, how to please others, whether it be our parents, how to fit into our society, how to please our teachers. So we build up this identity of ourselves that sometimes is far removed from that original state of unconditional love, trust and acceptance. So how do we get back to that, that remembrance of self? And diet is, is a great tool for that. You know, you've seen it so many times and I've seen you share so many of these remarkable stories of people reclaiming their health by following a carnivore, a keto, a paleo, whatever dietary principles there are. And for me, what I love about that, and it's not so much the individual health stories that, that motivates me or inspires me, but it's what happens once these people have the energy and the ability to wake up in the morning, feel engaged with themselves, feel that self-love. And I see nutrition as one of the easiest forms of self-love that there is. Just by simply choosing to fuel ourselves with foods that we know are anti-inflammatory, that are gonna build strong health, sustainable long-term sustainable health. That to me is the, one of the ultimate forms of self-love. So if we can cultivate this self-love, what happens then is we become these people that live without fear, follow our internal or intuitive passions. And that to me is where the magic comes. You know, I've, as you know, you've probably shared thousands of stories that of people that couldn't get out of bed, had anxiety, depression, whatever it was, and three months later, six months later, even two weeks later of changing their diet, all of a sudden have a newfound lease of life. And so much so that those stories of, of putting cancer, type two diabetes, autoimmune diseases into remission, they don't actually sound miraculous anymore. Well, they don't to me, but what does sound miraculous to me is the next stage of that person's evolution on their journey of, of human growth is what are they passionate about? What are they going to share with the world? Are they going to paint a picture that will change somebody's life? Are they going to cook a meal for their family that's going to bring connection back 
to that family unit? Are they going to volunteer at the hospital? Are they going to create something that they've always wanted to do, whether it be a, a movie or even just getting a pet, you know, from the, from the pound or whatever it may be? That to me, that magic, that, that desire to live a full human existence without pain is what really excites me and motivates me because I would say, could you imagine the world living as fully expressed human beings where fear didn't come into the play, where we could express our authentic being and self. That to me is utopia. And I don't think it's that, that crazy to think of that, you know, and I, and I love this health movement, especially with nutrition because it actually is one of the keys. And I, I honestly believe changing our diet is the simplest thing in the world to cultivate that self-love. Because then once you've got the energy and the passion and you can go and do things, it gives you a different outlook on life and, and about what you can achieve. You know, so many people think that you get to a certain age and you start to decline, you know, with your ambition, with your health. Uh, I'm, I'm only young, I'm 45, and I, I, I don't even think I've even scratched the surface of my own potential, my own potential health, you know. I'm, I'm inspired by how you work out, Sean. You know, and that's one of, I guess, one of my fears, you know, about my own body image. And that's something that I, I wish to discover about myself this year. I've already made it as, as one of my, my own goals. You know, I've been skinny all my life and uh, I understand why, because of the diet, you know. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's what is possible. What will that mean to me? You know, what will it do to, to my testosterone? What will it do to my, my, my body? Because I know it will add years and, and vigor and everything else. So I'm, I'm on a journey like everybody else and we're all on this journey. And I think it's very important that we understand that we are all individual people that are all connected very deeply. But hey, Pete. we have to be very careful not to judge anybody and where they're at on their own journey at this particular point in time, too. Hey, Pete. Yeah, I, you you kind of highlighted one thing that uh, that I, I find interesting. I really hope you actually do end up doing a, a deep dive into the education side of things. I think that runs so parallel with a lot of the nutrition stuff we have, you know, going on nowadays. And you know, I I, I was a teacher for like five years and. One thing that always kind of perplexed me was more or less how complicated we made education when it could be very, very simple. And, you know, I, I remember back to like as a teacher going through like the standards that we would have, which were basically our guidelines of as what to teach. And it's like you'd have dozens of standards and then, you know, more substandards under that. And it's like, well, kind of how do you tie this all together and make it something that's actually going to stick in a student's mind and that never really came clear to me um, as, as a way to kind of do it the way it is set up currently. And, you know, the only thing I could really think of was that really, I think we should just scale this back and teach a lot of these students kind of the fundamentals of things and just teach them how to be a human, how to identify who they are versus getting too deep into some things that, to be honest, a lot of these kids are never going to use again in their life 
or, you know, if they do learn it, they're going to forget it very quickly because they're going to be moving on to the next thing. And, you know, I think nutrition is one of those things. I can't, can't tell you how many students I had who wouldn't be able to cook any meal, much less a healthy meal. <laughs> and it's like, that's something that's super fundamental to their, their health and well-being down the road. And it's, it's like we, we sort of bypass that more or less. And how beautiful is the carnivore diet for teaching people how to cook? <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you want simple, if you, you've got simple there. And what a great starting point for somebody, you know, to, mm -hmm. I mean, Sean, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of your, your posts. <laughs> I've, I've never seen so many steaks appear on, on one person's post, but I love it because you're enforcing that you are actually cooking. And to me, I, you know, I applaud you each and every time you throw up your steaks because it's, it's, that, it's that repetition and it's that encouragement and it's that inspiration that anybody can do this. And, and actually, if you want to be healthy, you know, have a look at this option. And seriously, it takes 15 minutes in a pan, depending on the size of the steak that you're doing. And I, I, I'm just a big fan of, of that sort of leading by example you know and going back to what you said earlier Sean is uh, what does it mean to be human and I try to use my social media in that aspect and, and give a glimpse of how I live my life you know and, and some people say I'm crazy because I share photos of, of my children on there and this that and the other but you know I it it for me, it's a snapshot of what I like to do. And I do, I love to go surfing with my kids and play on the trampoline and cook for my, my wife and, and have a lot of fun and share those stories. And uh, you never know. And, and I've had so many people say that they actually show their kids the photos of what I feed my kids, for instance. And it helps to inspire those children and, and those families to to step out of their comfort zone and to maybe try something different, whether it be, you know, some, some pate or some, some uh, fish roll or whatever it might be, but just being able to present something uh, in a way that is educational and possibly inspiring at the same time. Pete, I'm going to be a little selfish right now. Unfortunately, you know, for, for, sorry, if you guys listening, I'm not, this is my time, but no, first of all, I want to just say, I want to say what you said was very beautiful about the fact that you really appreciate, you know, and I'm the same way I see, you know, a person, they get off this medicine or that medicine, or they get a better lab value and they're happy about there. But I, I'm truly inspired when their life changes, when they say, you know, I've finally taken up something I've wanted to do for 50 years or 30 years. And that, that truly is beautiful. You know, I spent my whole life as a competitive athlete and Zach can probably echo that. And you know, there's always that pressure to compete. Sometimes I'm jealous of the fact that you're just out there frolicking around, don't care. There's no time. You're just, you just, you're just having fun. And I think that's part of, you know, you talked about, you know, creativity and whether that's creative creativity through physical expression or artistic, you know, uh, cooking or poetry or whatever. I think that stuff. We had Mark Sisson on a while back and he said, my goal is to live every day awesome. And I think that's a very similar sentiment. And I, and I, and I much, I admire you guys for setting that example out there. And I hope I get to a point where I can just run around on the beach naked and do, do roll around <laughs> in the sand and don't give a flying F, you know, but here's where I want to be. Here's what I'm good. Just, just my, just humor me a little bit. What's your best favorite way to cook a steak? Say, I got to say, I got a half thick ribeye what, what's what's the go-to what's the best way to do it from a world-class chef i know 
share this. So go ahead, man, if you don't mind. <laughs> well, I've seen you do the reverse here, which is uh, yeah. a, a great a great way of doing it. Whether you know, it, it it for me, it depends on the time. You know, how much time do you have to actually do it, and that then dictates the way that I'd cook it. Let's say unlimited time, unlimited resources, best steak ever. What's the, what's the, what's the way? Okay, so generally what I would do is bring it to room temperature before I go to cook it. Obviously, for, for me personally, I'd pick a really good quality piece of meat. Um, that's, that's, that's just my prerogative and, and what I like to do is um, I like to support the farmers that are looking after the animals the best way that they can. From there, room temperature, season with some good quality salt, lots of it. Let that sit again for about five or 10 minutes. Let that salt really cake onto it. And then either reverse here, so put it in the oven to start with on a, on a low temperature. So basically how chefs like to do things is sous vide. You know, I've heard, I'm sure you know about sous vide. So temperature control cooking low and slow, that retains all the juice, all the moisture, all the flavor. So you can do that two ways. You can either do it in a sous vide machine, which I tend not to do unless we're in a, a commercial situation in a restaurant, because that gives you consistency. But at home, low oven, put the steak in, let it come up to a good temperature. So it's basically pink all the way through. I like to eat my steaks rare to medium rare. That's, that's just how I like it. And I'm a big fan of raw meat too. So in the summertime, I like to eat a lot of raw meat. In the wintertime, generally more braises, curries, things like that. So going back to the steak, and then you could sear it in the pan afterwards if you want that beautiful caramelization, which I think steaks need. Um, and then add a sauce if you like, or just a lot of more salt and pepper. Um, I'm a big fan of drizzling some olive oil over a steak once it's cooked as well good quality organic extra virgin and i'm also a huge fan of bone marrow too so if we can roast a piece of bone marrow at the same time pull that out smother that onto the steak I, you know you've got that that extra fat uh, it was interesting yesterday i actually cooked a couple of um, uh, osobuco which is uh, beef shins and very simple my wife and i we're eating a lot more meat these days thanks to you brother and um so I had I fillet steak this morning for breakfast, old out of the fridge, cooked extra yesterday down the hatch. But the uh, osobuco or the shin, I had some beautiful organic curry paste, a little bit of coconut cream, popped it in a pan, slow cooked it for four hours and it was just melting off the bone. But the beautiful part of it was this big fat bone marrow that was inside that was just scooped out and big fan, big fan of, of eating meat. Good quality meat. I'm, I'm salivating right now. <laughs> and I'm not even hungry. I don't know, Zach. What do you think? I'm I'm, I'm heading over there. I'm flying down. Where, where are you in Sydney? Or where are you at? I'm, I'm at at the moment actually at the farm. So we've got a uh, okay. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at that. So up up near the the Queensland border. So tropical, fantastic, wonderful, and, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'm sure people listening are going to love that and going to try that out. What is, um, tell me a little bit about the magic pill because uh, what inspired you to make that and talk about, because it was a bit controversial. You got people that threatened, uh, you know, wanted to shut it down, move it. Tell us a little bit about the, the blowback you got from, from doing that for just, you know, you know, because there was, you know, you, you dared to say that food could impact disease. How dare you make a film that suggested somebody could improve their disease symptoms by, by, by food. And that, 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 that upsets a lot of people. Um, sure. yeah, just talk a little bit, talk a little bit about the magic pill. 
So if we go back about five or six years, I started making a TV series uh, that I self-funded called The Paleo Way. And what I wanted to do was redefine the TV cooking show genre and actually put something out there that actually could benefit people that watched it. And so I went about, I came over to the States and filmed with some of, uh, some of the people that you've had on your show before, some, some gr great doctors, some great researchers, some, some wonderful people that had healed themselves by using food as, as one of their tools for health. And so I ended up doing 16 half-hour episodes, and it took us a couple of years or three years to film that. Uh, you can see the second series of The Paleo Way on Netflix in the States at the moment or on iTunes. Uh, the first series is in Australia and different parts of the world on iTunes. It's still not on Netflix just yet. Um, so once I had this wonderful database of information, and each, each episode has about four recipes, and we... we each episode of those 16, we focused on something different, whether it be meat specific or nose to tail eating or organics or sustainable future or whatever topic that we, we deem. Talking about fat, for instance, as a whole episode. Uh, cooking with children as another episode. So once we had all this information, I was finding it very difficult to find an audience for it. So I was seeing these documentaries pop up on Netflix and other avenues, the vegetarian and vegan movement really, really pushing hard uh, to have that voice be heard. And I was like, wow, a lot of people are watching these type of documentaries and they seem to be influencing a lot of people. So I have a real great database of information here from these doctors and, and people that have, that have cured themselves or healed themselves or put their, their illness into remission or have improved their lives dramatically. How do I put this information into a documentary and can I do it in a, in a meaningful way? Because 90 minutes isn't a lot of time. Like when you are trying to connect so many different moving parts, so we're talking about sustainability, we're talking about evolutionary history, we're talking about uh, the politics behind the food system and how the dietary guidelines were made. And then we want to follow people that are actually going on this adventure and also show the indigenous so we've got these so many little, it's a jigsaw puzzle. How do we fit all of that in to make it a compelling documentary? And I worked with this, this beautiful man called Rob Tate, who I've worked with for many years, and we did the Paleo Way together. And one thing led to another. I said, can we turn part of what we're doing into a documentary? He said, yep, we can do that. So we went off and, and did more interviews, followed more people, went to... Uh, Arnhem Land as well and filmed with the Indigenous and we put together a documentary and then got it out to a distribution company I said can we get it on Netflix they said probably not <laughs> but three months later we we managed to get it on Netflix and that has been huge huge as far as exposure for for what this film means so the premise to the magic pill is there is no magic pill. <laughs> you know, it was originally going to be called Food as Medicine, but somebody else had created a documentary as we were filming this called Food as, Food as Medicine. So Dr. Jason Fung, who I know you've uh, probably spoken to on your podcast before, beautiful man. He, one of his lines was that there is no magic pill or everybody's searching for the magic pill. And as soon as he said, I was like, that's the name of the film. It's the magic pill because there is nothing. And then to create the, the artwork, I was like, we need to have a pill with all these ingredients popping out of it. 
whether it be meat and seafood and blah, 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 and organic vegetables. So that was the premise. How powerful, can, how powerful is food as one of the tools for health? And I think we conveyed that pretty well. And we showed a, a broad spectrum of different people going on this journey. And as you know, it works, you know, basically an anti-inflammatory diet. Simple. Uh, and I, I'll never forget the best part of the film is, is actually with these people that run the Indigenous Aboriginal retreat up in Arnhem Land. I said, what does, what does this formula mean for everybody? And he had to think about it for a minute. He, and he basically said, it's, it's meat and vegetables, you know? And that is the premise of the film. You know, it's, 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 uh, to be honest with you, it feels strange to actually have to make a film to explain that. Like it really does. Like I, I it bewildered me that this was needed um, because it's such common sense. You know, it's, 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 it's laughable, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> that we have to, that I needed to create a film to put out there because there was nothing out there that showed this. And, um, you know, it's, it, I don't know where to go with that, but it, it, it did, it did baffle me, you know, and, and who knows what's next, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this, this plant now and cannabis to see. And, and again, I have that same question, you know, what am I doing this for? You know, <laughs> why am I making a film about a, a plant that used to be legal, used to be a part of every doctor's medicine chest in the States and that was regarded as one of the most normal plants. I filmed with this, this beautiful family up in uh, the West Coast of the USA who used to grow illegally before it was legalized. And I filmed with mum, dad, and the two kids. And the kids were 10 and 12. Beautiful family, you know. And talking about this plant, I, I asked the kids, what does it mean to you? And they're like, it grows next to the tomatoes. It's just another plant. And, but the parents had to hide that for so many years, you know, and they were crying on, on screen saying, you know, our, we have to have our kids lie at school about what their parents did. You know, to grow a plant that some would say is, is every human right, every person's human right to be able to grow their own food and medicine in their backyard. So again, I, I've, it's an interesting place that I'm in at the moment again is like, I can't believe I'm making a film about a plant that once used to be in a lot of people's backyards and has the potential as, as being used as one of the tools for human health and planetary health as well. So interesting. I, I always, I'm amazed at this journey that, that I'm on and uh, how profound it is. And it, it's what I love about it. And going back to the, the, the education side and the human side and what it means to express ourselves. My, my greatest joy, one of my greatest joys, I should say, is interviewing people that are passionate about their topics 
that can bring about great, great outcomes for, for humanity. You know, to sit, I must have done 30 interviews over the last three weeks all through Canada and America. And I was crying in most of them, and so were the people that were sharing the information. Very much like I did with the Magic Pill as well. Because they see the benefit of the work that they're doing, their own human expression. And how great it is if, if we can express ourselves in a way that actually benefits not only ourselves, but, but other people, the planet, the future. I mean, that's pretty fucking cool, you know? And, and again, I'll go back to the magic of, of all of this is if, if we can all contribute to that magical experience of being human and, and look forward to ways that we can help not only ourselves, but our families and the future generations. Uh, I'm completely and 100% optimistic about the future. I really am, you know, even though we're going through a bit of a, <laughs> a, a rough patch at the moment, but I also feel like we need to go through this rough patch. And I feel like the vegan movement, the vegetarian movement, is needed at the moment because on the other end of this you will find people gravitating as you say on your thing once a vegan now adopting a carnivore or an anti-inflammatory approach so I'm excited about the vegan movement that's really pushing forward at the moment because the people that I know and that I respect and that are in the paleo keto carnivore movement were probably once vegan and vegetarian themselves until they suffered ill health because generally across the board everyone's doing it for the right reasons they want a better planet they want better treatment of animals they want better health so i'm sort of excited about what's happening at the moment even though i, I, I wish it would speed up a little bit as well but you know there's certain things you can control and certain things you just have to let run its course but i can see a, a, a bright future ahead It'll, it might cause some people some pain and some discomfort and some illness and some coming back to what it means to be human. But I think that can only be a good thing. Now for a word from our sponsors. This episode of HPO Podcast is brought to you by a company named Fat Snacks. That's Fat Snacks with an X. Fat Snacks is a company that makes a cookie that is keto, low carb, and high fat. They use ingredients like almond flour, coconut flour, and butter to make a soft bake cookie with one to two net grams of carbs and eight grams of fat per cookie. It comes in flavors such as chocolate chip, lemon, and peanut butter. This personally is a, an option that I've used in the past when I'm traveling, when I'm in a situation where I might be busy and on the go for quite some time and just there's a scarcity of what I would consider high quality food options. This is a great thing that's easy to pack and bring along and, and get you out of a pinch in a situation like that. Uh, I also see this as a really great option for parents with children who want to send them to school, to practice or to a friend's house and don't want them to overdo some of the more traditional options that are sugar and vegetable oil based cookies. Uh, if you'd like to check out this product, please head over to their website at fatsnacks.com and with the promo code HPO, you can get 5% off your first single order or 10% off a subscription order. 
Also, if you get a chance, head over to Instagram and Facebook and give them a follow or a shout out at Eat Fat Snacks and let them know that HPO is very grateful for their support. Now, back to the show. Zach, you have anything? I've got some stuff, if, unless you have something you wanted to. Yeah, I just, I think, I, I think we talked about this a little bit in the past too. And I think it's like, whenever you have a small enough group of people that has given a voice that's much bigger than their actual population size, it's, you're going to get backlash from the, from the masses. And I think that's a lot of what we see with the plant-based movement is you have a small group of people who have an enormous voice relative to their size. So you, you kind of tend to wake a sleeping bear, so to speak, then. So everyone who, you know, it recognizes that animal products are just a part of human nutrition start to kind of wake up when they see people try to take that from them. And, uh, you know, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why we see the carnivore movement having such a gaining so much such legs in the last last couple of years is because it's been you know, kind of the sleeping giant that's gotten woken up a bit now. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pete, one of the things that, you know, and, and I agree that this whole vegan plant-based movement is important because it really focuses our attention on nutrition, how poor, how important it actually is. Now, of course, I disagree with the premise of that particular movement, but I, but I do agree that it's so important that we do focus on nutrition. I wanted to bring it back to the future and the, what the future involves is our children. And when I, was, when I was a kid in school, you know, you had home ec, you had wood shop, you had some actual vocational life skills that no longer are funded. They don't, they don't teach in school. But, you know, in the home ec, I, I think I had home ec as I remember. And I, I remember it was just, you know, you kind of screwed around and played around and made some cookies or something like that. But at least got you in the kitchen. But I think realistically, you know, we start our kids and we talk about why you had to make that film to say eat meat, eat fresh food, eat vegetables, eat fresh fruits. And that's a healthy diet. But because we've gotten to the point where we've been eating fortified foods, cereals with vitamins stuck in them and processed foods and bars and you know, all this basic stuff that's out there that's not really food. We're, you know, we start our kids on a multivitamin, a Flintstones chewable vitamin or a gummy bear vitamin, and they've got to take their probiotics. And we've got this built-in sort of need for pills and potions and magic pills that we start. We, we grade that in our children, but what, what we should be doing, you know, get those kids in the kitchen. I don't know how, how old your kids are, but I mean, I envision, you know, it's your turn to cook. You know, you're 10 years old. Make a, make a meal for what do you think about that how do you how do you teach to you know to embrace nutrition and cooking and the fun that it can be and the experimentation that create you how does that work in your house Pete well it's, in, it's a great question and it's uh, it's an interesting one to ask a chef because I think most chefs you know that have gone through this industry and it's a, it's a wonderful industry but it's I'll, I'll tell you what um, I mean, I'm talking to a doctor here, so I, I don't want to compare my industry to yours, but from my understanding is both are very tough, you know. So um, I think you ask any chef and they probably don't want their kids to follow in their parents' footsteps in going through that, that type of intense uh, environment because... It isn't pretty in there, I tell you. It's not glamorous. It's not like what the shows like MasterChef and whatever you have, Top Top Chef and promote. You know, it, it's a very different reality to work in a commercial kitchen for, for many years. And I did it for 
for 25 years and I'd work 80 to 100 hour weeks pretty much that whole time, locked away in that box. And I had a lot of fun and it pushed my creativity, but it was hard. It was physically and mentally and spiritually draining work. I'll, I'll just say, you know, no one can really sustain an 80 hour work week in those conditions and, and believe they can be healthy long-term. You know, it, 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 it hurt me. It hurt me in a, in a, in a way that I'm, I think I'm still recovering, to be honest with you, on, on many levels. Um, so how do we bring that back to children and make food fun? I think the first key is, is doing the activities with them, whether it be shopping, whether it be fishing. You know, I, I think fishing is, is a remarkable and very beautiful thing to do with with the, with the family and i've done it before and I'll, many times but to be able to catch a fish and then choose to either put it back in and let it swim away so they understand that you know we don't always have to kill everything um but then on the flip side of that to be able to catch a fish that you know we can go home and cook this in the next hour or two and actually experience that whole cycle of life as well is, is very profound. And whether we take our kids to a farmer's market or actually out to a farm to see how things are grown, I mean, my, my advice is always just get the kids involved in a way that it doesn't seem to be forcing them to like something, you know, just having them aware, you know, it could be as simple as, I've got a herb garden and my wife and I have herb garden and, and whenever we make breakfast, you know, we'll do some eggs and my daughters love chives. Okay. Can you go pick the chives out outside? And it's funny because if I was to get the chives, I'd do a chef amount and, and do a, a small sprinkle. Whereas the kids, when they go and get the chives, I'll get the whole bloody bunch of it. And because they've picked it and they, they were involved in it, they chopped the whole thing up. You know, it's, it's, it's more chive than eggs, <laughs> but, they feel that they've got, they've had an input into the dinner and it can be as simple as that, you know, it can be peel a few cloves of garlic or whatever it may be, or come to the stove and, and learn how to cook a steak. It doesn't need to be difficult. So I think awareness and I don't ram it down my kids' throats because I also am very conscious as a parent that I don't create little versions of me. You know, I, I'm so cautious about that because I think it's every parent's responsibility to step back as much as we can and let our children develop their own unique passions and talents and abilities without trying to conform to what we want them to be or what we like to them to be. So as far as the cooking side, I'm probably the other side of that where I'm like... I don't, and I want them to be kids too, you know, because they're under so much pressure with homework in this crazy world that they live in at these days where they go to school. And once upon a time, like when I went to school, I'd go for a surf before school. I'd go to school. Then after school, I'd go skateboarding. I'd go for a surf. And the homework was there. But I couldn't give a fuck about the homework because I knew I wasn't going to do anything with it, you know. But, and I always have the opinion that we all have the ability to succeed in life and to succeed in life means to whatever that means for you. But for me, it's to be 
continually growing. And for, for me, school wasn't that avenue. But that hasn't hindered me in any way in my own personal growth journey. So, but at the moment in, in the educational system, especially in Australia, we're pushing these kids to, to achieve academically pretty much over everything else. So I also just want my kids to play. So instead of giving them a kitchen lesson at the end of the day, I'd rather them be playing out on the monkey bars or in the pool or down the beach or jumping on the trampoline than me spending too much time again teaching them, even though I became a chef because I wanted to learn that life skill. Um, but I actually became a chef because I wanted to move out of home and be independent. And I looked at all the jobs that were available to me as a 17-year-old builder, electrician, plumber, hairdresser, baker. And I, I, I evaluated all that was on offer. And the simple question I asked myself is, which one is going to benefit me for the rest of my life? Because I had no passion for any of them. But which is the one that if I learn how to do this, it may benefit me or it will benefit me for the next 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that I'm on this planet. And cooking one hands down. It just it ticked all the boxes that I thought, if I learned how to cook, at least I'll be able to do that for the rest of my life. And it's something that I'll do daily. So by the time my kids leave home, they will know how to cook at least a dozen dishes. But I'm gonna do it very slowly. Yeah, it sounds like uh, I think that's good advice to let the kids kind of find their own way. You know, that's the thing. And I, you know, the same thing, my, my little boy here, he's, you know, he's in a bilingual school. He speaks French, he's fluent in two languages. He speaks French and English. And I kind of help awesome. him with this workout. But I'm, I'm always like, let's go play basketball. Well, that's my, <laughs> I'm like, let's go run around on a, on a thing and go do that stuff. And that's, that's, that's what I want to do, you know, because I'm having fun with that. You know, and they, I think the kids, unfortunately, these days, as someone who went through, gazillions of years of formal training i mean my gosh i spent 13 years in higher education you know after after my high school uh you know and, and i and i sometimes question the value of spending all that time when you know we had a guest on a while ago zach you remember uh alexander uh antonio juan cortez you know yeah um, we just talked about you know is, is college even that good of a deal anymore i mean it's because like i said i think learn the basics how to learn you know, that's what school can teach you. you learn how to learn stuff and then you develop interests and passions and then you use you know you can foster those things and educate yourself and there's so many resources now i mean we have you know just with a phone you've got access to the entire world's knowledge base you know 24 7 so you know i kind of sometimes you know question a little bit about how much we how much value we put on you know getting perfect grades getting into the school going to college and, and having this path when you know like you said there's a lot of ways to be happy and there's a lot of ways to be human and you know uh, you know you have to be able to do something but you've got to also just truly have a passion and, and enjoy it and i think you need to be curious as well I, I love being curious and the old saying is you start to get old when you stop to when you stop learning and and, and also stop playing and i think if we can be curious about life and ourselves, how we think, how we behave, our belief systems, uh, and also how to cultivate more play into our life, whether through self or with, with others as well, and I think a combination of that is, is vitally important, it will keep us on our toes and keep us youthful. 
and one of the reasons I, I do what I do is because I have a thirst or curiosity for learning. And I didn't as, as, a, as a kid at school. No, I didn't. It didn't interest me at all. I just wanted to play as a kid. <laughs> but it's interesting, as I get older, it's like, you know what? I want to understand how that works. I want to, I want to... And my podcast is called Recipes for Life, you know, which you've appeared on, and thank you for your time with that. Um, and the concept behind that is, what are the ingredients for, for a, an interesting human experience? <laughs> you know? And... I have people from all different walks of life talking about different things, whether it be sex, whether it be education, whether it be diet, whether it be nutrition, um, whether it be philosophy, whether it be anything that I am curious about. And it doesn't matter to me if anybody listens to my podcast or not. You know, for me, actually, I create it for myself and hopefully my kids will listen to it one day because there's some, some great information in there. And uh, actually, I've, I've asked my daughter to transcribe the podcast for her pocket money as, as, as her thing so she can write them down so that she was, is getting an education at the same time, uh, earning some, some cash. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. That's, that's one of the projects for this year. You know, learning through, uh, learning in a way that um, adds on to the curriculum from school. Yeah, I'm sure Zach will concur, but I mean, Zach and I have been doing this podcast for we're almost a year into this, and, you know, I think we've done about 80, some 83 of these episodes, and I mean, it's, it's a tremendous way to learn, just from a self, you know, a very, very sort of selfish aspect. I get these guests on here, and I'm like, I'm going to learn something today. It's a lot of fun. I don't know, Zach, have you, have you got the same sort of, uh, sort of feel from that that I have? Yeah, and I think, uh, I think, Pete, you hit it on the head when you mentioned curiosity city it's uh you know that was yeah i think if that if that was the one thing we focused on teaching kids in school was how to be curious you know we wouldn't have this problem of like well if we don't give every student this massive information dump how will we identify the the future scientists the future you know engineers and the doctors some of those like more complicated directions but, you know, from my experience, like when you instill curiosity in your students, like those kids will identify themselves. Like I could probably tell you by week two, which kids in the class were going to be on that trajectory to be, you know, the doctors and the scientists in the community. So I think it's really just kind of, um, you know, the way we manage things there that that sometimes ends up being the being the issue. But yeah, you, you and people get curious at different points in life, too. You know, I find myself getting interested in things that I absolutely hated when I was 17 and 18. You know, so like some people just need more time to kind of get curious about the things that they just don't know they are yet and trying to fit everyone into that kind of linear 12-year uh, progression through education. And then at the end of it, decide, okay, now what do I want to do with my life? Do I go to do more school, even though I don't know which one of these subjects is most interesting to me yet? Uh, or do I enter the workforce or something else? It's, yeah, it's, uh, it, I think that, that you're right on though with the curiosity thing. Cause uh, you know, with the podcast itself, you, we bring on guests that we are generally interested in hearing what they have to say and what, what kind of information they can share with us. And then that just kind of spirals into future guests, I think too. And I think it's very important that we keep ourselves open and flexible. Uh, I've written 20 cookbooks over the last 12 years. And I generally say that you know, at the 
at this particular point in writing, this is what I have found to be working best for me, but probably in five years time, it will have adapted and evolved and changed from where it is today. So yeah, I believe we need to be open. And, and as soon as we're steadfast on one thought or one idea or one belief is, is generally the, the, the universe will come and, <laughs> and test us in, in some way and say, oh, you think you know it all, do you? Well, have you, what about this? So I've learned that over the years is to completely stay not, not rigid in my, in my beliefs and, and thinking because the further along I go down this path, the more I see that there's, there can be more than one truth happening at the same time. And I think they call it the, uh, the, the, the paradox, uh, the, the, the Tao paradox where two things can be true at exactly the same time and they could be completely opposite. So uh, I've had many experiences over the last few years where that has, has shown me that uh, to be more humble and to actually know that I don't know everything and I never will. So never, never put yourself out there and say, this is, this is the way that everybody should be, um, even for yourself. <laughs> yeah, Pete, the one thing I like to say is I'm, the only thing I'm 100% certain of is that I'm wrong about something. You know, I don't know what it is yet, but uh, you know, obviously, you know, whatever you think today, five years from now, you're going to think something different. So I think you know, some people talk about being open to everything and attached to nothing, and I think that's a fairly, you know, you know, a circumspect way of looking at things, you know, because we, you know, as, as the things I were taught that I was taught as a physician and did, and, and I can imagine all these surgeries I've done on people. And then 10 years later, they're like, no, those didn't really work. And they didn't really, you know, we, we now have more data. I'm like, well, you know, what do you do? You're like, well, I've, <laughs> you kind of like, you do what you, you do what you know at the time. And then when new information comes along, you have to, you have to be willing to adjust and adapt to that. And, and I hope that's what, uh, uh, I'm, I'm able to do, I think I am, but you know, you never know. You're, you're, you're also full of bias and, and you'll never get away from that either. So interesting to see Pete, let me ask you about, as you know, I was, I, I, you know, a, a TV show from Australia interviewed me a, a few weeks ago. And I know you and I chatted about that a little bit. And the reason for that was they wanted to get a perspective. I know they talked to some vegan activists and they talked to me and some other people and they kind of went back and forth. But they're really, because I guess in Australia, there's been a lot of conflict between some of these activist folks and some of the local farmers. What are you seeing? I mean, what are your thoughts on that sort of situation? I think people are striving for an identity. I think purely, again, coming back to being human, people are trying to find sense in their life. So they attach themselves to some sort of ideology that makes sense to them at that particular point in time. And they find some sort of comfort in that tribe or, or that, that belief system. So I'm not, I have compassion for every human and I understand why people do, why they do it. I, you know, I don't know the whole story for it, but I see activism as, uh, as generally a yearning to to, for somebody to matter, you know, to give meaning to their life. So is it wrong that people are, are being activists and, and shouting at somebody and calling for somebody to do something differently? 
you'd have to look at the whole picture and why that person is at that particular point in their life. And I think you'd probably get a, a, a better understanding of why that person may be at that particular point in time doing that action. So I'm, I'm careful not to judge against certain things. I mean, uh, you said at the start of this podcast about the Australian Medical Association having a go and calling for Netflix to pull my film down, you know, which they could never do. It's impossible. It's, 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 it's ludicrous, you know. And the fact that the president of the Australian Medical Association, the present one and the past, have gone onto their Twitter account and publicly attacked me shows their hand. It really does. I mean, who in their right mind as a leader of a professional organization of doctors, right? Who I would deem to be a very intelligent group of people. Why would somebody lower themselves to publicly hum try to humiliate another human being on, so on their own social media? Well, actually not their own social media, but the Australian Medical Association's social media. What does, the, what does that mean? You know, and I don't see it, I don't take it personally because it's, it's, are they protecting their own interests? Are they, are they frightened that potentially this has the capacity to change people's outlook on health? I, I understand there's, there's a big industry behind um, that, that revolves around being, people being sick a lot of the time you know, and addicted to certain pharmaceuticals. Does what we present challenge that? I dare say it does, you know. So for them to go out there and, and be an activist for their organisation, because I've never attacked anybody in any way. I don't go onto the AMA's page and say, you guys are doing this and that wrong. I don't go onto a vegan page and say, you guys are crazy. It seems to come back to me from all different walks of life to, to challenge or to have an opinion on what I do, which is very strange because it's not reciprocated. But again, then I look at it, I go, okay, well, you have to understand that we're all mirrors for everybody. So I present myself in a way, and I believe I present myself in a truthful way, and that potentially can bring about other people's issues in themselves, which uh, they feel the need to respond in a way that maybe they'll, <laughs> they'll regret down the track, or maybe they won't, or maybe it'll be a, a, a catalyst for, for self-growth for them. You know? And I'm happy to be that person if that's what I am for people. I, 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 again, I don't have the answers. It seems, for some reason, I seem to be very controversial. As you said, people like me or, or don't like me. And, and it's interesting when I read an article like that, people love him or hate him. I was like, why does there have to be even be a, that as part of an introduction? And it's interesting because I get a lot of emails and messages daily over the films or the TV shows. And, and the, the funniest ones are the ones I love the most is, you know, Pete, I just want to write this to you because I always thought you were a bit of a dickhead 
you know. I, I, I'm like, okay. Have, have you met me before? Have you actually sat down and had a chat with me? But that's okay, you know. People have their, their judgments already. But after reading over the years the amount of flack that you cop from, from the media and from the medical associations, it got me thinking, this seems a little bit one-sided and a little bit strange. So they've done their own research, but they adopt the principles and they find out that it'll work for them. And, and I'm not going to say it work, works for everyone, but I've got a 10-week uh, program I did uh, launched and called the Paleo Way, which is free. It's a 10-week program. And it's completely free now. And I've had 100,000 people do it. And out of that 100,000 people, do you know how many emails I've had from people that have said that it hasn't worked for them? So that is very interesting, like extremely interesting that people have, not one person has said they have got sicker from eating an anti-inflammatory diet or, or cultivating self-love. But there seems to be a lot of people that are upset about that. I would totally understand if there were people getting sicker from what we are promoting. I would, you know, I'd be like, fuck, what's going on? How can people get sicker? zero and i'm not saying that's that's completely tr truthful maybe people haven't contacted me to say that they've been sicker but you would think that in today's day of people verbalizing and 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 having an opinion and being able to share what they thought i still have had not, not one person and that's in six years and that's only from the hundred thousand people that have done my program and I've shared thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stories. I've stopped sharing them now because it was just like, what else can I do? This seems to work for a lot of people. But the question is, you know, I interviewed a wonderful lady the other day in Florida when I was there, Dr. Kelly Brogan, who's a clinical psychiatrist and just an amazing human being, amazing human being. And we discussed talking about how do we influence people to change their mind on how they look at themselves and cultivate that self-love. She said, we can't. She said, all we can do is, is hold space and lead by example. And if we hold that space, then people will move forward if they choose to. Well, they won't, but we can't have any expectation over that. So, and I found, found that very profound that she, because I think we all go through that. Once we find something that works for us, we want to tell everybody, <laughs> you're like, Hey, come and look at this. She says, this has improved my life. Maybe it can improve yours. But it's interesting because I'm, I'm sure, you know, even with your friends and colleagues and family, it's probably some of the, the ones that need this information the most are the most reluctant. And they'll, they'll find every possible way to, to, to discredit you with what you're promoting. They'll bring study after study or this and that. So the only thing we can change is ourselves. And I think that's a fucking good place to start. It's ourselves. <laughs> and, and have no expectations on anybody else and no judgment on anybody else. And let them be their unique selves and express themselves however they need to. Whether it's the vegan activists, whether it's the, the 
the carnivore promoters, whether it's the keto, whether it's the pharmaceutical industry, whether it's the, 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 the can cannabis lobbyists, whatever it may be, we all are expressing ourselves how we believe we need to. And that was always going to change. Yeah, I think that's uh, very true. The fact of, you know, the holding the space and, you know, that's sometimes you have to fight to hold that space. You know? <laughs> Some people don't want that space to be open for other people. And so I think that's why it's so important. And I encourage, you know, because people ask me how to, you know, share the message. I say, just get out there and say what you want to say. You've got your own platform and uh, social media is a great equalizer. You know, it used to be that it was a very patriarchal way of learning. You know, we had people that told us what we need to know. They had the science, you know, science was a province of scientists. And now, you know, anyone can be a scientist. It doesn't take an advanced degree to, to do science. It's just an understanding of what, you know, what the basic principles are and mm. to, 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 to share what you learn. And I think we, we all benefit as a, as a, as an entire community when more people get inter interested people involved and more people learn and share what happens. So it's absolute garbage and there's a lot of craziness out there and stuff. I just say, good luck with that. And, and most of the time it doesn't work, but every once in a while, there's a lot of, uh, you know, gold that can be mined. And I'm seeing that, you know, you know, every day. And I, you know, it's great that people are doing podcasts and you're getting the word out and, you know, speaking about what you're passionate about. And, you know, Zach's, Zach's shown us how to run farther and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all that crazy stuff but. an absurd amount of miles <laughs> hey, well i mean you know, that's relative there's probably you know there's probably people who say 100 miles in that big in that big of a deal there's probably you know what is, what is it you run three days in a row type stuff zach you know it's kind yeah. of yeah it's all relative all well, the, the most winningest winningest hundred miler has a saying that says 100 miles is not that far so <laughs> i guess uh i guess it is all relative <laughs> Pete, it's been a pleasure. I mean, uh, I don't even what time. I don't even know what time. It's in the morning there, I guess, where you're at down there. Something early yeah. in the morning, I guess. I hope you got a great day planned. Um, anything else you want to let us know about? You know, I, I, we really appreciate you coming on and let us know how to get a hold of you. People are looking out for your stuff. And what can we? Yeah. How can they find Magic Pill? It's on Netflix. Is there any other places they can look for it? Or Magic Pills on Netflix, Amazon, iTunes, The Paleo Way is on Netflix, uh, possibly Amazon as well. Um, follow us on Instagram. Generally, is um, I do a post most days uh, and share a little bit of information. But uh, my website, PeterVince.com, and also the, the free uh, website, 10-week uh, course, is thepaleoway.com. And... Um, yeah, thank you for your time and you know, stay human. That's a good that's a good deal. Stay human, eat like a <laughs> good way to end it, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully if I get down to Australia I'll I'll say hi and I'll 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 have you cook me a steak there, Peter. I'll cook a steak <laughs> and we'll cook each other steaks. <laughs> that would be awesome. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, uh, Sean. Pleasure right, having great, having great. a chat with you fellas. Take care, Pete. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.